Return to Camp Blood, episode 51, Where the Red Dot Goes. This episode is brought to you by Friday the 13th Franchise.com. Jesus Christ. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Warren, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're doing if you stay here. Never come back again. Well, all right, here's another interview that the guys did without me. Uh, They sat down and talked to Officer Rick from Part 6. Vinny is a fucking hilarious guy, and I really think you're going to enjoy this. Anyway, here they are. Welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I am your stand-in host, Lando, joined by my fellow counselors, Eric. What's up, y'all? And Nathan. Good evening, everyone. All right. Okay. Hi, Landon. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Eric. What's happening? <laughs> how you doing? Great, Mr. Guastafaro. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Please call me Vinny. All right. Yes, sir. Well, man. as you hear, tonight we are joined by Vinny. We're going to do something, uh, have a little fun with it here with Return to Camp Blood. We want to do Camp Crystal Lake's finest, and the first officer we'll be speaking to will be Mr. Vinny Westafaro, otherwise known as Deputy Rick from Friday 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. And uh, Vinny, uh, it's nice that you could join us tonight. Thank you so much. I'm so glad for your interest, and I'm glad you guys are keeping this alive. You know, I, uh, the Friday Higgins are some of the most fun people I've ever met. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll still think that about us when we're finished here. Um, I wanted to hop right into it. I mean, obviously, the big line that you had in Jason Lives was, you bang, you know, wherever the red <laughs> dot goes. I was curious about that. Obviously, you know, you have your script and that kind of thing, but when you get out there on set, what was the atmosphere there? They say, you know what, this is generally what we want to accomplish with this scene, but you guys, you and David Kagan, just go after it, along with Tom Matthews, and do your thing? Or was that all scripted? No, most of it was scripted, but Tom McLaughlin, our director, was wonderful, and he had already directed me in a play, and he knew I was a little nuts and very animated, so... Uh, when he said to me, you're going to be shooting a, a 57 Magnum with the latest laser scope on it, I said, "Yeah, bang And he said, oh, please find a place to put that in the movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you're right, you're the only guy that said it right, "Yeah, bang It's Y-A-B-A-N-G. I get fan mail where people say, you bang They think that, you know, it's Y-O-U-B-A-N-G, and it's not. It's just yeah. a sound effect. Yeah, bang yeah, you bang would be a whole different genre. So we're gonna we'll stick with <laughs> we'll stick with the you bang. But uh, yeah, I mean beyond that scene uh, with the you bang, I mean just like I said, the dialogue that you and David Kagan had throughout the film, and you talked about that. I mean, was there something you guys? Was there some improvisation that went on? Uh, well, a little bit, like when I first enter with the Chinese food, and uh, I first enter, I come in with a bunch of Chinese food, and he's got Tom Matthews already in custody. And I go, what the hell? And all of the stuff goes flying up in the air. That was all, that was all improvised. Uh, and that was fun at the jailhouse. So no, that was improvised. And I'm trying to think there was a couple of other places. You know, I, I had a couple of definite things that I wanted to tell you guys, but I don't want to dominate the conversation by just ranting on here. So, uh, one of the things that you don't know, and this is totally out of sequence, but there was a scene shot that, um, never made it into the movie, but it, it happens later in the movie where uh, after, you know, Tom Matthews locks me in the jail cell at one point, and then they go on their adventure to finish up the movie. And there was a part where they actually cut back to me 
it's Rick Cologne sitting alone in the jail cell, and then a door creaks open, and uh, it's all on my face, and I look up, and obviously it's supposed to infer that uh, Jason has entered the jailhouse to kill me. And uh, it, we played it all on my face, so it's me standing up, looking to the jail cell bars, seeing him come towards me and start screaming, let me out of here, and grabbing the, 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 the windows. Um, the, bar, the windows had bars on them as well. And so I would stand up on the cot and scream. And that was like, I don't know, that was a two-and-a-half-minute improvisation where Tom was just laying on the floor laughing, and he just let me go wild in the jail cell. But it didn't make the movie, so there you go. That's a piece of trivia you should have. Um, uh, yeah, any other questions have. you could ask me? Otherwise, I could I could tell you you know some of the things that I've talked about when I talk about the movie. And um, uh, so one of them is you know that I worked with C.J. Graham, not Kane Hodder. Mm -hmm. uh, he right. was our Jason, right. and right. partly why he was cast was because um, our director Tom McLaughlin had a background in mime, and um, he wanted somebody who was very mechanical in it. Turns out, I think C.J. Graham had a military background before he got into this kind of acting. And Tom really loved his interpretation of Jason in terms of being very mechanical, snapping his head to the camera and walking in a straight line towards his destination, whatever that was, you know. Um, so that was one of the things I thought that was special about the movie, was that C.J.'s interpretation of Jason was, was just really, you know, scary because he was almost like a robotic. Um, right. Uh, then, then one of the, a few of the other points, and then you could ask me about this was, uh, and you may know this already, uh, this Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, was one of the first of the movies to humor. It was one of the first of the movies to have a custom rock song written for it. It right. was one of the first of the movies to have a major stunt when we turned over that motorhome with uh, Tom Fridley in it. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the first of the movies to have, um, I'm pretty sure there was um, bloodless kills. If you remember, the effects were done on the cuts. So you would hear the scream, or, well, I don't know, when he killed that one girl inside the bungalow and the blood splattered all over the window, that was pretty gory. But there was yeah. no, like, squirting blood out of the necks or any, you know, there was none of that stuff going on. It was all about um, juxtaposition of, of photo image, you know, of camera image to tell the story. And I really, really admire Tom still to this day, but I liked what he did with that movie uh, because of that. Uh, oh, yeah. Another minor incident, um, uh, fact, and then I'll stop, is <laughs> the, the young lady who played Annette in the movie, she was doubled up with uh, Roger Rose in the woods. They're making out. They hear Jason. They hop on the scooter, and he skewers them. Uh, oh, yeah. I ended up marrying that woman. So she's been my wife for <laughs> Very awesome. nice. Congratulations. Very nice. Yeah. All right, that's my little rant. Go ahead, ask me anything you want. I, I, I think everybody's kind of curious. I haven't seen a lot of information about this, and I know there's a lot of prop collectors out there, me being one myself, but as far as the original laser sight and maybe even the screen-used gun, do you possibly own either of those items or maybe oh. know where they're located today? God, I wish I did. I really wish I did. Uh, I thought the, the laser scope is hysterical because it was like the size of a tomato can, remember? And, uh, <laughs> and now laser scopes are like the size of a pen, you know? So uh, I, I really wish I had that original. I don't own the gun that was used in the movie, but I own the exact version of that. It's really great. 357 Dan Wesson. I, uh, 
uh, with exchangeable barrel. And we had to decide if I wanted to use the two-inch barrel, the four-inch barrel, or the synth barrel. And, of course, I wanted the biggest thing I could get my hands <laughs> Of course. I know that Tom owns a number of props from the, obviously, and I just thought maybe by chance that maybe you owned one or the other or, or both. Oh, you've inspired me. If I could find that, I'm going to go hunting for it now. And if I can <laughs> find it, I'm going to buy it. Um, well, I've looked around at a lot of websites and a lot of prop auctions over the years, and I will tell you that I've never seen that item for sale. Yeah, I, it might have been one of those things that was supplied to us by the, the armorer of the movie, uh, which is a pretty famous company out here in Hollywood called ISS, and they supply movies for, uh, I mean, weapons for almost every movie that you see from John Wick to Saving Private Ryan to everything, and uh, I think it was a similar situation where it was a big company like that that uh, on lend gave us that 357 I used, and then they gave us the shotgun that David Kagan used as well. Okay. I don't remember too many other guns in the movie, though. I think that that was it. Yeah, I believe yeah. that. Um, beyond that, do you own any items from the movie that were screen used? Um, I had something. Yet, no, for a short time I had a, a Jason Voorhees um headstone, uh, 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 the thing that you find at the cemetery. And uh, I don't know what happened to that. Maybe I sold it or donated it back to some other um, Friday the 13th. Uh, uh, I'm thinking there was a writer that did a book a while back, the complete Friday the 13th, where he went into each detail about the movie. And I, I had that and I donated it to his cause. Uh, but other than that, no, I did. I don't have any movie except the great memory of doing it and a wife. <laughs> You know, and the girl I married. So you won out, sir. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I, I, I take it you all had good chemistry on the set. <laughs> well, unless somebody told you otherwise, I thought we did. A testimony to that is the fact that I'm still good friends with Tom Matthew. Uh, he, he lives actually not far from here in in, uh, in Los Angeles, and I'm still pretty good friends with David Kagan, who is a. Uh, um, an acting here in Los Angeles, and I also am an acting teacher, so we've conferred and talked and exchanged information on uh, on that at, at times. Um, but yeah, we had good chemistry. I was good friends with uh, uh, most of the youngsters in the movie. Uh, Carrie, I forget what her last name was. She played the red-haired girl, uh, Nancy's sister, so I, I, I don't know. I forget what her name, um, uh, her last name. And I had a pretty good chemistry with Tom Ridley, I mean, Fridley, because I had just done a movie with John Travolta, and apparently he's John Travolta's cousin. So uh, it was it was right. kind of great. I mean, it was great to be working with people that were all on the same page. Everybody was committed to wanting to do a really good job. We knew this was a Paramount movie, and and uh, we knew it was important to Tom. So nobody nobody spoke down to the material. Nobody said, well, this is just a horror movie. What do we care? We treated it like this matters. And little did we right. know how good it was going to come out, especially that opening sequence in homage to about five other movies. Right. Oh, yeah. It, watching the movie, it, it, it seemed like you all were family and there, there was no dissension amongst the ranks. It was, it was like everybody played off each other so well and there wasn't any on-screen awkwardness that you could see. Uh, and sometimes you can tell if two actors aren't jiving well together that you end up with something that comes off a little more awkward than authentic and what you guys did it just it was fluid as all get out yeah thanks for saying that i mean 
I, I, you might be looking for some juicy story that hasn't been told, but the, the matter is we really all did get along. Uh, one of the funniest moments in the movie is Jennifer Cook, who, uh, for me, in the making of the movie, was, uh, you know, a really, really gorgeous blonde. And she had the scene where she had to run down the pier and dive into the water. And everybody was worried about, like, do we make an actress dive into the water and all of that? And she said, just make sure my hair looks good. And we all kind of <laughs> fell down laughing, and then she did her own stunt. It was kind of fabulous. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but... And for the most part, we all did most of our own stuff. The running, the chasing, the driving, the hitting of the cherries. And when he says, hit the cherries, I actually got to blast the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the siren in, in the squad car. And then that was shot at a historical, historically preserved cemetery. So we weren't allowed to run over the graves. So I don't know if you noticed in that chase scene when we were all chasing, um, uh, 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 what's his name? The, the main guy, Tom Matthews. Tom Matthews. When we were chasing him, we had to run in angles like we were running on a checkerboard because we had to run around the graves between them. We couldn't step on anything or over anything. Now, you talk about that scene in the cemetery. Uh, on this show, we're very, very fond of uh, Crazy Ralph from the first two Friday the 13th films. Wait, what's that you say? You're going to camp blood, ain't you? You'll never come back again. It's got a death curse. <laughs> the closest we've had to that sense was Martin the Caretaker at the cemetery in Jason Lives. Bob Larkin, I mean, he just had so many funny lines. He was just so perfect in the role. What was it like working with him? I mean, granted, it was very short when he came up there at the end and David Kagan was talking to him, but what was it like working with him? He, first of all, he, he was a terrific guy and a terrific actor. If you talk about improv, almost his whole scene where he's singing Goodnight Irene and drinking the bottle of whiskey and, and covering the grave and that whole thing he's doing, nobody's going to take my job from me and all of that, that was all improvised. And Tom just let him go really? wild. Because he was so engaging and so, so I, I think he's a wonderful guy. Uh, and and uh, to this day, I mean, I, I, I hope I'm not misspeaking myself. I think he's still alive. And, yes, uh, he is. Yeah, and I, I heard from him. I guess that's the miracle of Facebook. But I heard from him like a year ago. We, we established contact again. And he's a wonderful person, you know. And I thought he brought a lot of integrity. He made a very memorable moment in a, in a well-known horror movie. That's hard to do, you know. Oh, yeah. Now. Let's go back a little bit to David Kagan. I mean, you talked about that. You do some teaching with acting. He has an acting school as well. Back when you guys were doing this movie, was that something you guys were already talking about, have that kind of passion? It was like the, you know, the seeds had already been planted. It was something you wanted to do down the line, or is that just something that came about as your careers went on? It came about as our careers went on. When I, during that movie, David Kagan was very serious in pursuing his performing for film and television and on stage. He has a stage background as well. And uh, so did I. And then I didn't start my teaching until many years later after having done a couple of movies abroad. And then I did a couple of other horror movies. Uh, one fairly well-known, Wes Craven's Shocker. Uh, and uh, met a lot of young people during those movies who were really interested in me personally. And so uh, as things transpired, they sought me out. I developed my own methodology. I have my own school called The Sport of Acting. And um, a lot of those people that were in those other movies, um, I did a, I did one with Billy Zane called Megaville, which was this weird kind of like in the future movie. And uh, I did another one with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and uh, uh, what's her name? The girl from, oh God, she's one of the famous sisters. Uh, I, God, I can't think of her name right now. But uh, 
that was a movie called Trouble Bound. Uh, Michael Michael Madsen and her last name was Arquette, uh, Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I was. And so we we came we came together as friends. And you know what I say about these these shared experiences. When you can do a movie with somebody and then remain friends with them for 20, 30 years afterwards, it speaks very well to the way the set was run, the director, the tone of the production, you know, ev- everything about it. Uh, uh, and I really, you could hear with my enthusiasm that I, I, I loved it. I loved doing it. I loved people I met. They're still my friends, including Tom's wife, Nancy McLaughlin, who played the girl who got killed in the Volkswagen at the very beginning with Tony Goldwyn. The, the first encounter with... Uh, Jason, when they're trying to get to camp and they're on a back road and they're lost, uh, a lot of that stuff was also allowed to be improvised because they were in a car. And uh, sorry about that. I thought I had it shut off. Oh, no uh, worries. And, no worries, no, sir. And uh, that, some of that stuff, their dialogue in the car was all improvised, and that was very cool also. Um, so, you know, there you go. Um trying to think of what else you might find interesting, but to me it was all interesting. One of the first big movies I did in terms of uh, having a substantial role, watching how they handled the filming, the uh, Tom was masterful. He used every good thing he could. He used fog machine, used crane, used uh, tracking. You know, he used everything that goes into good filmmaking, especially back then before everything went digital. Uh, and all of the effects were real, you know, they were actual. So it was, it was very cool to witness that and be a part of it, you know. I, I went to the set every day, even when I wasn't working. I had to be a part of it. And plus we had a great, great, you know, I had to go get some chow. It's something I'm always interested in, um, you know, all the work that you put into making a film like that. And you talked about how everyone got along and how much fun it was. What was it like when you go to the premiere and at the theater and you get to see the Friday fans and the lines that are supposed to make people laugh do make them laugh and, and they're loving the gore, they're loving the humor, they're loving the action, they're loving all of it. What's that like to sit back as an artist and just take it all in and say, yeah, we really made something here that people are enjoying? Well, well, first of all, the answer, the short answer is, but I didn't know it was going to be different. I went nervous. I went wondering like what was going to happen. And I heard, I had already heard that the opening in New York was insane. Like when it opened in New York, people came marching into the theater going, Jason, Jason. <laughs> and, and they were wearing masks and they had fake machetes with them. I don't think you're allowed into it. But uh, uh, it had opened in New York to a very, very enthusiastic response. And so we were wondering, is it going to be the same in Hollywood or is Hollywood going to be like hoity-toity and think it's not art or whatever? But the true fans showed up. The place was packed. The laughs were wonderful. And for a guy like me, basically at that time, did a lot of comedic work. I loved that response. And we were all introduced and we had to stand up. And, you know, when you're in a theater and there's five, six hundred, seven hundred people clapping for you and screaming out your name and quoting your lines, it was really, really cool. And then a couple of years later, how about this? I went to one of those conventions. Uh, that, you know, we were representing Friday the 13th at the convention, and I was there with right. Tom Matthews, and some girl came up to me, and she had, wherever the red dot goes, yabang, tattooed on her arm. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, honey, you know, but he, you know, she was like, uh, no, this is this is for you, Vincent. And she was a, a Aust- Austrian girl, so she had a cute accent, but it made me realize that 
the reach of these movies, these horror movies, is international. And so I've done films in Austria, Berlin, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, you know, all over the country here and in other countries. Well, speaking of conventions, where might our listeners find you at at any cons this year? Do you have a set list already? I don't I don't have a set list. I wait for them to call and invite me, and then i got to look at my schedule and see if I'm a- able to go. And if I'm able to go, I go, because they're big fun to be at. Uh, the, the people who sponsor these conventions like having original cast members at them. Uh, I usually get a pretty good following because I'm, I'm a personable guy. I like to hang out, shake hands, take pretty chicks, and uh, sign things. And I've signed everything from butts to, to cleavages to bald heads to, uh, uh, you know, photographs to... Real machetes, people have come in with real machetes and you sign them. Uh, some of them are collectors, so one guy came in with a set of kitchen knives and we had to sign them. Uh, but I realized, well, he's got 10 of them, he's obviously going to try and sell them. So there's, there's a quite a, a varied kind of personality that attends the, these conventions. Uh, and it's, it's just big, big, big fun. Um, and I like, you know, that's an excuse to get together with the old timers like Tom and David and, uh, Jennifer Cook doesn't do too many of them, uh, but I'm still good friends with uh, Tom and Nancy, so seeing them at these things is great. Oh, and Marcy. What's her name? Marcy DeMoss. Uh, I think that's her name. Is that it? Darcy? Yes. Darcy or Marcy? I'm so sorry. You guys would know better than me, but she's big at these conventions, and she's still a gorgeous chick, and she has a great personality, and the fans respond very well to her as well. Well, now you talked about fans and conventions. It's something that we like to ask people because the answers are just typically marvelous. What's the strangest request you've ever gotten from somebody at a convention or just somebody that runs into you and recognizes you on the street, but whether it's an autograph or leaving a message on their phone? What's the strangest request you've received from a fan from Friday the 13th? Well, the strangest, I don't know, but among them have been exactly what you said. I've had people call me and say, will you call me and say, wherever the red dot goes, you bang. Uh, will you, I told you I had to sign, uh, someone's butt, which was pretty, you know, that, you know, somebody comes up to you, pulls their pants down, points their ass at you and gives you a magic marker. That's kind <laughs> of neat. So, you know, that was one of them. Uh, 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 think of, there were a couple of other strange things, cleavages, uh, 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 would you say you're lying for me? Would you act like you're killing me? Uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. And I wasn't even a killer in the movie, but they like me to act like I'm holding my gun. Uh, people have brought little laser beam pens with them and had me pointed at their forehead so they could give a scared look and, and take a selfie or have a friend take a picture of them with the red dot on their forehead. Um, and then they post pictures of themselves saying, wherever the red dot goes, you bang. So, um, uh, you know, it, that kind of stuff has always been great, but nothing's really Freaked me out. Uh, there's nothing too vulgar. I mean, what the hell? They're crazy anyway. Uh, I get uh, a lot of the fans are from. Uh, it's interesting to me that a lot of the fans are from rural areas of the country. And uh, I think one of the strangest things that was ever said to me was uh, some guy from Kentucky. Me and my mom watched this every Friday night, and I thought, wow, <laughs> that's scary. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at him and saying, well, how old is he? When did your mom start letting you watch this movie? And I, I don't know. And I think he said like at the age of, or I oh, didn't wow. even let my own kids watch it. And, you know, so it's kind of strange. Um, but it, it's, it's fun. I mean, if, if anybody has told you anything other than it's fun, then I don't know what experience they were having. 
but I was having fun, and I tried to bring fun to everywhere you go. And you're actually the first person from Friday the 13th, uh, Part 6, Jason Lives, that we have spoke with, other, well, other than Harry Manfredini. Oh, cool, yeah. And, you know, he was our composer, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he did a great job. I mean, some of that was absolutely scary. Uh, oh, yeah, he's great. And I don't, I don't know what he was like in the interview, but I saw him at a Friday the 13th alumni reunion uh, about a year and a half ago. I, I might have sent you the, the still photo of that, but there's like six of us gathered around the car. And I think uh, CJ is sitting in the coffin. So if you don't have that photo, I'll send it to you. And, um, oh, yeah. That's... Yeah, it, it, it was kind of cool. Uh, and I, I lost my point. I was doing something else. Um, uh, some of these people might be big fun to talk to. You, you might really enjoy it. Tom uh, Matthew, extremely laid-back California guy. So you won't get this kind of energy from him, but you'll get a lot of really intelligent insight from him about the movie, I'm sure, uh, because he was such a major part of it and had to do a lot of the underwater filming. And, you know, a lot of it was very, you know, uh, actor-oriented. Uh, he was involved in almost, you know, every frame, I guess. And uh, he had a, a lot of really intelligent insights on the movie. But I hope you get to talk to some of the other fun folks. Yeah, he, you know, he, he's a good guy, and I liked him a lot. Uh, some people have gone on after the movies and, and said, oh, I don't want to be, what's it, what's it called? I don't want to be pigeonholed as a horror movie actor. Uh, and, and if that's the way they feel, I say too bad for you because it is an absolute privilege to be in something that becomes a cult classic, you know? And, Absolutely. And, and for some of us, speaking for myself, I did go on to do other mainstream movies. I've worked with Woody Allen, Michael Mann, Barry Levinson, uh, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Uh, I worked with uh, Gary Marshall, all as directors I'm speaking about. And they were all just really great people who recognized you as an actor and didn't hold you as, oh, he's a horror actor. So I think once you have one of these under your belt, it's like your rite of passage. It, if you look at how many actors have emerged from the horror genre, uh, including uh, Kevin Bacon, you know, uh, you know, Corey Feldman, uh, you know, these guys have gone on to other careers that were just great. And uh, I think that these these horror movies are launching pads for a lot of careers. Oh, very much so. I think so too. With uh, with Johnny Depp in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, it's it's this little niche that that. That's horror. It, it, it does seem like it's a great rite of passage uh, for actors and actresses and to go on for any genre. And I, I just think that's awesome. Yeah, but you know what I'll say further about this genre is, is that I've been in a lot of movies that I was very proud of, and they hit the screen and they played and there were big stars in them. And then they've disappeared and you, they pop up on Netflix here and there. These things are the never-ending, you know, legacy of horror. I mean, I see this move on every cable channel in any part of the country I go to. Uh, I just got back from Arizona, and it was playing on Cox Cable TV there. I don't even know what that is, but I've <laughs> seen it everywhere. And then every time there is an actual Friday the 13th on the calendar, they run a marathon, and so the, mo so the movie gets shown two or three times in a 24-hour period, and then... When Halloween, the actual October 31st date, rolls around every year, Friday the 13th plays in about 25 different venues all over the country because it's about horror. You know what I mean? So oh, it, it's, it's just really a wonderful, you know, I hate to sound like I'm waxing, you know, sentimental about it, but it is one of the best memories I have. And as I said, I married the prettiest girl in the movie, so I'm happy about it, you know? That's just awesome. Yeah.
being that we do have the 30th anniversary that's going to be approaching very quickly, did you have any special plans to celebrate that this year? Wasn't that just last week, or is it, when's it coming? It was 2016. Oh, the 30th anniversary of the movie. Uh, no, yeah, right. I, I think there's going to be some kind of special screening at one of the old movie houses here in Hollywood, and I think that they're trying to gather together uh, as much of the cast as they possibly can, especially those of us who live locally. And I expect to see a lot of our friends there, you know. Uh, I forget the name of the famous silent movie theater over on Fairfax in Hollywood, and that's where they usually screen these things. They don't want to just do it in a mainstream, you know, cinema house, cinema 16 or whatever. They like to do it in some place that has character. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see whatever, whatever they put together I'm availing myself to. I want to go. Well, being that you were one of the people that were there, like you mentioned, for every day of shooting, uh, is, there, is there any one particular most memorable moment that you have with your involvement with the film that you'd like to share with us? Uh, boy, wow. Uh, if you uh, had to narrow it down to one. Besides the scene that I, I noted to you earlier that was cut, which was great because any actor likes to have a day where the camera is just on you and it's all about you, and you're not even sharing the scene with anyone, you know? Uh, that was a great day, but it never made home. I think it exists somewhere in outtake, but uh, that never made And then the other thing that was really great uh, was um, the night they did the big stunt where they overturned the, um, they overturned the motorhome. Uh, uh, I was hiding behind a log on the other side of the road. And I knew what the blocking was, and I knew he was going to pop up out of that house, a hatch, and stand on top of the trailer. And uh, 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 when he did so, I was back there with a, uh, a flash camera, and I took a picture of that moment. And to me, that was one of the most memorable moments. And then later, uh, during, like, dailies, I heard one of the producers complaining, I wonder who the asshole was who flashed the camera during our... You know, it was a one shot. I mean, we only had one trailer to flip over and we could only do that stunt once. And they wanted the lighting to be perfect, which I thought it was perfect. So I don't think I messed with the quality of it at all. But I remember somebody not being real happy that I had snapped a photo there. And I never owned up to it. So I'm, I'm letting that out of the bag for the first time here and now for you and I are, you know. <laughs> oh, God. Well, no, I don't think you ruined that shot at all. I, I mean, that's still it's one of the iconic shots of the series. That's a really just fantastic. Every time it comes up, you know, I still look forward to it every time I watch the movie. But uh, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, Vinny, we really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Landon. And uh, I hope to get Nate to meet Nathan someday, or I'm going to listen to more of your podcasts and see what's, you know, what's going on with all the other things that you cover. In the meantime, I promise I will try to reach out to Tom and any other cast members that you might find interesting because I, I think you should talk to more people from this particular chapter. Uh, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, in my book, was one of the best because of all of the ground that it broke. You know, yeah. The things I enumerated to you earlier, humor, yeah. children, stunt, meeting Alice Cooper. I mean, it was all just so awesome. All right, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and I hope I did my job, you know. Oh, yes. Thank you, sir. It was great. Thank you. Well, all right. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. If you want to support the show financially, head over to campbloodpodcast.com slash donate. 
If you have a question or a theory, you can hit us up at campbloodpodcast.com slash feedback or comment on the show notes at campbloodpodcast.com slash 45. A special thanks goes out to the Downriver Rat for our intro and outro music. You can check his stuff out at the downriverrat.com. Until next time.